and it made me go to... I was thinking, okay, so we've got all of these universes. We've got the Marvel universe, we've got the DC universe, we've got other universes that are not being made into movies. What about our universe? And what do we do with all of these universes and heroes um, and villains as Christians? Do we have a picture of our own? Which made me go to Revelation, which um, I said I wouldn't, because it's complicated when you go to Revelation. So we are not diving <coughs> deep, we are only going surface, on the surface, don't worry. I hope you won't have my results tonight. Um, because Revelation was written to Christians who were living through times of persecution. And as all of us do when we live through times of persecution, we ask the question, where is God? And that's what they were asking. Where is God? Um, why is this happening to me, to us? What's interesting, um, normally when we think of persecution, we think of uh, the dramatic persecution, the martyrdom persecution where they, you, you take a Christian and you put them in oil and you burn them as a light in the Colosseum. That did happen. Um, so they didn't just feed them to the animals or have them as the light bait for the gladiators to warm up with. They also used them as the lighting for the Colosseum, um, etc. Lots of awful things happened. They were about two or three times in the history of the Roman Empire when that was what was happening to Christians. What's interesting is that normally when the Bible talks about persecution, and even in Revelation, when the Bible is talking about persecution, it's not talking about that kind of persecution. It's not being locked up, knowing that you're going to be burnt or fed to a lion or fed to a gladiator. It's the persecution of not fitting in. Because the moment you become a Christian, you cannot, do not want to partake in the way the society works at that stage. Remember, uh, in that time, gods were part of everything. Everything was a god, and gods were part of everything. So you might be a merchant who sells um, uh, fabric, but the merchant group that you're a part of had a god that they prayed to that made sure that you as a group were okay. So you had to bring offerings, you had to pray, and that was only in your merchant group. In your family you had that as well, in your village you had that, etc, etc. And now you become a Christian and now you're saying, but I can't do that anymore because I know that this is not right. So, what does that mean? It means you are, you're that awkward person that people want to avoid. Well, and you become isolated because you can't go to the meetings anymore because they start the meetings with prayer. You can't um, go to their dinners anymore because you have to give an offering. And people start blaming you because now, maybe you're in the merchant of fabrics They've got an accident where a boat crashes and they lose all of their fabric. What happens? What's the first thing that they think? 
It's Linda's fault because Linda is not part of us anymore. She didn't bring her offering. So therefore, the God is mad at us and he is he's, he's punishing us. This happens all the time. Which is interesting because it's almost, it's easier to think of, it's easier in a way to think of persecution as being burnt, being eaten, being, than just being that awkward person that no longer fits into society. And I think it's almost easier, if I think about it, I think it's almost easier to be resistant when the odds are that extreme. When saying yes to Christ means, okay, we're going to throw you in jail, you're going to be burnt as a torch. That it is to live your life and constantly have to be the person that says, no, I can't be that because Christ is my Savior. No, I can't be here because I think it's easier to be the one. So these, this is the crowd that John is writing to as writing Revelation, which really makes it less exciting, I know. But they are still in the streets. I know we, we mock a lot about first world problems. And yes, I think it's important to have the perspective of first world, but there's still problems because they still affect us. They also had those kinds of problems. And they were asking those kinds of questions. Who's in control? Why are these things happening? Where is God when these things are happening? And the beautiful thing is that in Revelation, we have our first movie. He didn't have, well, I want to say he didn't have the budget, and we didn't have the equipment technology to make the movies that he made today. But he, he, wrote, a, he wrote a script, as, and as people heard it, they would see it in their minds, because we all have imaginations. We're not used to that anymore. We're used to being shown on the screen. We're not used to seeing it in our heads. But these people would have, as they heard it, they would have seen it in their heads. It would have been a very vibrant picture. He decides to tell them, okay, you keep wondering, what is all of this about? I am going to show you the bigger picture. And the bigger picture starts in Revelation 4 with a beautiful image of God on the throne. So this is the first in Revelation 1 to 3. Jesus is giving specific messages to specific churches. And then he tells them, okay, but before you to be able to do these things, you need to see the whole picture. You need to understand the big question. And he starts with the question of the vision of a throne room. Throne room with lots of light. And in the middle of it all sits God the Creator. And around him he's got living beings who have wings and who are praying. And around them they've got angels. And around them they've got faithful. And around them the whole of creation. So try and picture in your mind's eye. You start in the middle with God, the Father, in all his brilliance. I imagine that you wouldn't even be able to, you would only see light that would blind you. I can't even think that you would be able to see him as a person. And from there, you have circles going further and further and further. And those circles, in the end, are the whole universe. The whole universe is encapsulated by these circles. And what's important? All of these circles face inward, face to God, the Creator. 
What a powerful image that is. Because what does that tell you? As somebody who believes in all of this, it tells you God is at the center of everything. In a world where it might feel to you like God is an afterthought, because you feel like an afterthought, <coughs> it says, no, no, people don't have the right picture. The actual picture God is in the center of, they just don't know it yet. But you, you get secret memo that it is, this is the way it is. And then we go on to the superhero. We meet our superhero in Revelation 5. And what is, I'm going to read out of the Good News Bible, which means it's not going to sound exactly the same as the NIV. So we've seen the throne, we've seen God in all his majesty. Um, John is in awe. He has lost the, the ability to use his legs, which I'm sure all of us would have done. And then we go to Revelation 5 and we hear, I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. It was covered with writing on both sides and was sealed with seven seals. Seven in this case being the um, complete number. So a complete number of seals. Okay? And I saw a mighty angel, not just any angel, a mighty one. Because when I think of angels, they normally look quite mighty. So if he says mighty, then it's a really big angel. A mighty angel who announced in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And then we get bad news. But there was no one in heaven or on earth or in the world below who could open the scroll and look inside it. So remember they thought of the world as three layers. You had heaven, you had the earth, and the world below. So basically nowhere could somebody be found who could open the scroll. And already we have an idea that because if the scroll is in the hand of God, it's important. So it's important that the scroll be opened. So of course, the reaction is, I cried bitterly because no one could be found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside it. Picture the scene. It's, there's been asked who can open the scroll, and messengers are sent out everywhere. So you are standing there waiting as messengers go out and come back. And every time somebody comes back, you're like, <gasps> and then, oh, no, there's no way. So your emotional tension becomes that much that in the end, when the last messenger comes back and says, Look up into the pillars of the earth and there's nobody. You are hysterically crying because that means that there's nobody. So as John is crying like this and snot coming out of his nose, we hear one of the elders say to me, don't cry, look. The lion from Judah's tribe, the great descendant of David, has won the victory and he can break the seven seals and open the scroll. Pause there. Somebody's found. And it's not just anybody. Because you remember, these are Christians. Well, all of us know these stories. We're supposed to know these stories. Who is the Lion of Judah? Have you heard that before? The Lion of Judah? When they talk about the Lion of Judah, it's the Messiah. The Messiah who comes in power. That's why he's the Lion. So he is the one, remember, 
the Jews always held on to, especially after the um, exile, they held on to the hope that God would send the Messiah, who would come and who would release them from whoever was ruling them at that stage. At this time, it was Romans who kept ruling them. That the Lion of Judah would come in power and with power would destroy the might over them. So he would crush them into nothingness and the Israelites would be able to stand up and be victorious and live in Jerusalem and it's a happy ever after on the bodies of the Romans, which always makes happy ever after better. Because I mean, you've been, you've been tortured by these people, tortured. So it's better when they're dead and you can stand on top of them and say, ha, we won. That's what the Lion of Judah is. It's a powerful picture. <coughs> if you had been sitting there crying hysterically because nobody has been found, and then somebody comes and says, the Lion of Judah has come, who do you expect to see? Who would you see in your mind's eye? If you think about it. Maybe because I saw Thor yesterday night, I, that's, the, that's the kind of person I think of. If I think of him as a person, the lion, you know, if it's not a lion, then it's going to be somebody big and strong and powerful. And he's, gonna, he's not even going to, because they don't walk, they march. That would be who I see coming into the circle to come and take the scroll and I can hear the lights, I can see the lights, I can hear the angels, oh, this holy moment, and he takes the scroll. That's, it's a powerful image. What do we read in the next verse? So we're looking for the lion of Judah, everybody's guessing, where's the lion, where's the lion? Then I saw a lamb standing in the center of the throne, surrounded by the four living creatures, and the elders. The lamb appeared to have been killed. It had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, which does not mean that the Holy Spirit is seven spirits, it just means he is complete. Seven is the number of completeness. That had been sent throughout the whole earth. The lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. As he did so, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each had a harp and gold bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to break open its seals. For you were killed, and by your sacrificial death, you bought for God people from every tribe, language, nation, and race. You have made them a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they shall rule on earth. Again I looked and I heard angels, thousands and millions of them. They stood around the throne, the four living creatures and the elders, and sang in a loud voice, The man who was killed is worthy to receive power, wealth, wisdom and strength, honor, glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, in the world below and in the sea, all living beings in the universe. And they were singing, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor, glory and might, forever and ever. 
The four lay preachers answered, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Our God is a God of paradox. And there are few pieces that show it as beautifully as Revelation 5. Because our hearts are filled with excitement after we've been brought down. Remember, this was read to the people, so they heard this and they would have felt this. You hear that we're searching for somebody who opened the scroll. There's nobody, there's nobody, there's nobody. They're crying. No, there is somebody. It's the Lion of Judah. It's the one that's been promised. Yay! We're waiting for the Lion of Judah to appear. And it would be okay if you looked like Christian You might need to be a little darker because otherwise it's culturally inappropriate. Anyway, <laughs> we're waiting for him to appear. And who appears? The Lion, the Lion, the Lion. A lamb. As far opposite of a lion as you can get, there's nothing more opposite to a lion than a lamb. Okay, there is a dead lamb. Because that's what he is. It says, a lamb who was killed. Now, for somebody, remember John is not in the middle of all of this. John is standing a ways away. So for him to be able to see that it appeared to be a lamb who was killed, the lamb needed to have looked like he was killed. So what does this mean? He's covered in blood. He's probably broken. He's not Chris Hemsworth appearing. He is a broken, battered lamb. And now we go back to Jewish holiness. Because holiness was what? Holiness was to be unbroken. Holiness was to not have something like blood on your outside. So not only is it not the lion, it's the lamb. It's an unholy lamb. Because it's a lamb that's broken, it's a lamb that has bled, it's a lamb that has died. The most unholy you could be, you become is when you are dead. People who come near dead things had to go through several rituals of purification for quite a few days before they were able to go into God's presence again. And this is the hero of the story. This is the guy who is able to open the seals. I don't think, even with me explaining it this way, that we can ever understand the level of disappointment, shock, horror, that the people hearing this for the first time would have felt. I think they probably sounded like Peter did when Jesus told him, well, he was great. Jesus asked him, who am I? He said, you're the Messiah. And then he said, but the Messiah has to suffer, has to die. And Peter said, no, no, wait. He must obviously have sowed something weird or eaten something. Let's go aside and I'm going to tell you what you need to do because this is not what the Messiah does. And Jesus tells him, go away from me, Satan. Not because he thinks Peter is Satan, but because Peter is tempting him to become something he's not supposed to be. But those thoughts live in all of those people. So here they hear the Lion of Judah, yay, our power, our personal power is coming. 
and yet it's a lamb. And the, the song has <coughs> changed. If you read, um, if you go to read Revelation 4, you'll hear it's about the power and the glory of God who created. Here, where do the songs become? Because you sacrificed. Because you gave everything, you are worthy. A new theme is introduced. And I'm sure all of them sat there and thought, well, they didn't know the word, but sat there and thought, damn it, this is not what we wanted to hear. <laughs> this is not the story of power and glory. But this is the universe that we, as Christians, are showed. And as the Lamb opens the scroll, history starts happening. Judgment starts coming. And it's a process that started when the moment he went into heaven. And it will continue until he comes back. When that is not even he knows, so I'm not going to guess. I think he's giving us all a chance to try and make a difference. And maybe bring one or two more people with us into heaven. And that's just me. No way, he also says that. So, he... Here it is. Here's the universe. We've got all of these universes that we go and watch and that we think are amazing and heroes that are ripped and that do all of these wonderful things. And even in something like Doctor Strange where um, the whole lesson is it's not about you, even though it isn't about him, the moment you realize it's not about him, he still receives power and can do powerful things. Our lesson in this time of superheroes, well, there's, a good, there's good news in that all of us are part of the kingdom of God. So all of us are special. All of us are superheroes because all of us are living, will live forever. So we don't need to strive for eternal life in other ways. We already have eternal life. We are already part of that amazing, beautiful picture that Revelation 4 and 5 show us. But our special power is not to control thunder, or to control time, or to be able to throw spells, or all of us have, I'm sure you had a superpower that you wanted to be small. Maybe you wanted to be like a Hulk that could smash people around like they were soft. I don't know if you know those toys, the ones that the hand, that was this kind of slanty hand that you went through. <laughs> that you, you can throw them like that. <laughs> That was like, that's why I think when I see him throwing people like that, except that they don't stick as long as the hand does. <laughs> well, depending on how, how hard he throws them, obviously. So, that's <coughs> our power. Our power is sacrifice. Our power, our strength, is weakness. And that's a difficult thing. Because all of us want to be superheroes. And all of us can be, but not in the way we think. Our, we don't receive rings, we don't receive capes, we don't have a million year. We, what we have is the Holy Spirit, which is actually much more amazing than all of those things put together. But I can't take him out and show him and say, look, this is the Holy Spirit. He's within me, and he enables me to get up every morning and live. 
transmission abilities we receive from him. And they are when we really allow him to work in our lives. Eyes that start seeing people who are not seen. People who who are like the lamb in Revelation 5, the very last option. So the last option that it's not even an option really, it's put in the closet. It gives us the mouth to speak when necessary and to speak wisdom and love into people's lives. It gives us the awareness to be able to see where we can make a difference. Not a difference by smashing, a difference by being with somebody, seeing somebody. Which doesn't sound exciting. If you want to make it more exciting, you can always start wearing underpants over your pants and give yourself a special name. I mean, that, that, that could work. And I think that's what made it so difficult for, and that, that's, what keep, that's what keeps making it difficult for Christians throughout the ages. Because we're unbelievably special. We have such a gift. But it's not, doesn't look like we are used to gifts looking. Doesn't sound like we are used to gifts sounding. And so, I realized that if you talk about training naked, I'm not taking more clothes off, don't worry. Training naked, my training naked, in this time of superheroes, which is every December, so it's really cool. You can, you're reminded of this every December. My training naked needs to be a prayer that I ask the Holy Spirit to help me be the superhero that I already am, but that I forget. By opening up my eyes, opening up my ears, opening up my heart. And that is what I want all of us to do tonight, through the week, every time you hear about a superhero, it's going to happen a lot with the two movies out. Think about this. You are a superhero, but you're different. And the impact that you can have, that we can have, if we start living like superheroes we are, is actually quite magical. It's small, you're not going to be on TV for it. But once it starts, it just keeps on growing and growing and growing. Because think about it, Jesus started with 12. Those are the people he invested in. And yet here we are still talking about him. He made me emotional the other day when he said that what always says. Because I've forgotten what he does, Nick. So like Robert always says, may you, may we, in the week ahead, be reminded of where our true, true strength lies. May we be reminded of who it is that we follow. 
may we remember what the universe truly looks like. And may that strengthen us to be the superheroes we are meant to be. Lord God, it is so amazing to think that in 96, after you died, you gave John a vision of the world, of the universe, of history. Already then, you gave us the key to knowing how the world works, how things will play out, and what we are supposed to do and be in this picture. Forgive us our egos that we would so like to be a more exciting picture. Help us in a world filled with powerful people, in a world obsessed with power, glory, strength, Help us through your spirit to remember that true strength is not being able to smash somebody around. And that true wisdom and true power is not in power. We want to live up to the kingdom we are a part of. You said it's not that we're even superheroes, we're princes and princesses. We are royalty. Help us to live lives that are true to that identity. Not just in times when we are facing true deep struggles, violence, persecution, at exactly those times when things are going our way, more or less, and our days go by without much drama, because then we forget, because then we become complacent. Remind us in those days that you, you are the lion who is the lamb. Help us follow your footsteps. We pray this in your name alone, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Through the grace you have given us, 